Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. All right, episode 100 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Hello again, I'm Paul Stone. It's Thursday, April 20th. Uh, actually, my daughter Erin's birthday, so happy birthday, Erin. I've already talked to her on the phone. A little bit after 7.30 a.m. Central. And episode 100 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. This week's podcast appropriately titled 100 and Counting. Started the the podcast back in uh, late May of 2021. So we're almost hitting the 200, or not the 200, the two-year anniversary I'd been doing this 200 years, that would really be special. But the two-year anniversary of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast, and uh, we've done something every week. We've published a podcast for uh, now for the 100th straight week, and really proud of that. And hopefully, again, as I often say, you have gained something, those of you who have listened to all, most, some, one, whatever number of the podcast, hopefully you've gleaned something from it. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about just answering some questions. I went on Twitter and uh, solicited questions for this week's podcast. This is always fun to do, just pertaining to college football and handicapping in general. Got several uh, good questions there on Twitter. Also got some emailed questions. So I'm going to go over a few of those this week and, uh, you know, just start talking college football. You know, I'm in the throes of my preparation for the 2023 college football season. I think probably the most important months for me are the months of April and May. Um, College basketball season is, uh, you know, wound down. The season's over. Just concentrating on golf and college football preseason preparation. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where I am right now, just really uh, working hard to prepare for the college football season, working on it uh, several hours uh, each day uh, to – to get ready for the upcoming season. And uh, so this is, this is what I'm doing these days, you know, college football, it's, uh, it's going to be here before we know it. And if you don't, uh, you know, uh, I always say it's, it's an athletic saying, it's a competitive saying among athletes, but, you know, I oftentimes say, uh, you know, the, the will to win means nothing without the will to prepare. And, and that pertains to handicapping too. You know, if you're not uh, invested in preparation, uh, if you don't put the time in, you, you want to be victorious when the season rolls around. But if you're not doing the extra things, if you're not doing thorough preparation, if you're not getting up earlier than the competition, then uh, to expect to be victorious when the season rolls around, uh, that's kind of fool's gold. So doing a lot of preparation right now. <clears throat> Good time probably to lead into uh, my plug this week for uh, paulstonesports.org. 
and uh, for the eighth straight season this past season was again a, a winning college football season against the spread uh, over the past eight years as monitored by the highly respected sports monitor of Oklahoma City. I've had eight straight winning seasons, a winning percentage of right at 56% against the spread. Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City, I'm not saying there aren't others, but I've been doing this a long time. They're the only really reputable monitor that I'm aware of. And, uh, you know, I am glad to be among that small group of handicappers who do what I do, market selections to the public who are bold enough to elect to be monitored by a truly independent third party, the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. You can go there and see my records over the last eight seasons, and even prior to that, you can see each selection that I released to my clients over each of those seasons, both regular seasons uh, and bowl games as well. So please go to thesportsmonitor.com uh, if you would like to uh, see those records. And also, uh, soon, right around Memorial Day, probably slightly before, you will see my packages uh, advertised for the upcoming college football season on my website, paulstonesports.org. So this week, again, we're going to talk about some questions that were uh, answer some questions that were posed by listeners of the Paul Stone Sportscast. And I'm going to start without further ado. And this first question is from my buddy Ed Lane a host of the Fast Lane. If you have not listened to the Fast Lane, you certainly need to. Uh, ESPN 1320 AM there in Lynchburg, Virginia, covering a variety of uh, sports topics, and they do an excellent job. Ed is uh, an energetic host who has a lot of knowledge uh, and does an exceptional job on the, uh, the Fast Lane. So Ed asked the question, uh, pertaining to the University of Texas. I'm here in the state of Texas, so follow that program very closely. And his question's a very legitimate one. Texas had its spring game this past Saturday, the 15th of April, and Ed asked the question, is Quinn Ewers the definitive starting quarterback for the Longhorns? I'll answer it very succinctly. Without question, you know, no doubt about it, Quinn Ewers is the Texas Longhorns starting quarterback. Uh, and coming out of the spring game, you know, Steve Sarkeesian in his postgame comments, he said just that uh, after this past Saturday's Orange-White game uh, that, you know, Ewers is our guy. You know, it's important, I think, to remember as we view the trajectory of, of Quinn Ewers' career that he should have been a true freshman last season. A true freshman just three months removed from his high school graduation you know, when he started last year's season opener against Louisiana Monroe, he skipped his senior year in high school there at South Lake Carroll outside of Dallas, uh, took some NIL money, went to Ohio State, uh, transferred to Texas after that season. So that was kind of a lost season, but should have been a true, true freshman last year uh, as far as the natural progression and his age. You know, after missing uh, three full games last year and all but the first quarter against Alabama, due to an early season injury, you know, it's fair to say that uh, Ewers' accuracy uh, as a passer, you know, left something to be desired the final eight games of the season. But he, it's also important to, to note, he's the only scholarship player there at the University of Texas who has taken a snap in a game. So he's the most experienced, and he will be the starter uh, when the Longhorns take the field on September 2nd to face Rice. 
but that doesn't. I'll also I'll be quick to add that doesn't mean he has immunity. Uh, you know that he's a lock to start all thirteen or fourteen games that the Longhorns play this year. You got to you know you know you see you got to understand Texas has another guy that it believes is ready to play. This guy was a big time recruit, has a rifle for a right arm, and no, his name isn't Arch Manning. Redshirt freshman Malik Murphy. Uh, he's a big man out of California, 6'5", in the neighborhood of 230 pounds. He picked Texas uh, in his recruiting process over UCLA and others. He was the star of the spring game. Uh, he showed that howitzer uh, of an arm off on, on multiple occasions. So uh, if viewers were to stumble, uh, Murphy could be summoned. I think Texas is in a good position. Uh, they're, they've got more depth at quarterback than they've had in recent years. But again, to answer Ed's question, Ewers, the clear-cut starter, clearly the guy, first several games of the season, critical for Quinn Ewers' confidence. And if he uh, fails to produce, if he's inconsistent, I think Malik Murphy uh, could get a look for the Longhorns at that quarterback position. This question comes from Johnny Livingood on Twitter, and he asks what I consider to be, quote, the most overrated off-season stat slash storyline for handicapping in the NIL portal era of college football. You know, he started by answering his own question, Johnny did, by saying, in his opinion, returning skill position production uh, doesn't make as big of an impact in, in his off-season prep. You know, and I tend to agree that the running back position uh, particularly may be the most overvalued uh, the receiver position may be a, a little bit overvalued, uh, perhaps, but certainly not to the same degree as running back. What I will say definitively, without hesitation, is that the offensive line and the defensive line, in that order, are the position areas I give the most weight in my preseason preparation. But the portal era, uh, it, it certainly makes all the evaluations of personnel tricky, uh, and most certainly that applies to the offensive line and the defensive line. You know, for instance, you know, a transfer out of the portal may have been a three-year starter that perhaps started 35 games, let's just say for purposes of example, at, at FCS Rhode Island. But, but Rhode Island isn't the University of Michigan. You know, the size and speed of the opposition at those two levels are, are entirely different. So if a player has had success, has started many games at the FCS level, and now he's in a Power 5 conference, perhaps at a Power 5 power, and maybe even a blue blood, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to project exactly what that player's level of productivity is going to be. And even if a player, for instance, let's say, excelled at, at a lower level FBS school, you know, say a school in the Mid-American Conference, not to pick on these conferences, but the Mid-American Conference, perhaps, Conference USA, you know, how will that player's performance present itself in the SEC or, or the Big Ten, a higher level of play? So the moral of the lesson might be, uh, you, know, you know, you might sum it up to say that gaudy numbers, you know, compiled by running backs and wide receivers might be attention grabbers, but you might be wise to more closely examine and pay attention to the offensive line 
and the defensive line to gain a better feel uh, for how these teams might perform on both sides of the ball. So I think we tend to uh, underestimate the big guys in the trenches and perhaps give too much weight to the uh, skill position players, especially those running backs, and even to a degree those uh, wide receivers who put up the numbers that are so easy to find uh, and can be eye catchers. Going to another question here, the stew. Uh, he asked about translating a projected point spread in a college football game uh, to a projected win probability or percentage. Uh, and he's doing this from the perspective of, I believe, developing lines for regular season win totals. And I would tell the stew that you can do, you know, you can do a basic Google search or other search engine. And you can find a chart relating to NFL point spreads and associated percentages of actually winning the game outright. And I believe, you know, I'm not going to project myself to be an expert in this matter, this particular um, situation. But I would believe that the college game and the NFL game, the win percentages for certain spreads might be about the same. And I'm going to touch on that at the end of my answer. But looking at one that I, that I found through a search, for a six-point spread, the favorite has approximately a 70.5% chance of winning. The underdog, a 29.5% chance of winning. On a three-point spread, to give another example, the favorite's winning probability is approximately 59.5%. Obviously, the underdogs in that situation would be 40 and a half. You know, for college, in these and other point spread scenarios, I would slightly shade the probability higher on the on the betting favorite, you know, maybe 74% as a six-point favorite uh, to, for the favorite to win the game compared to 70 and a half in the NFL, and that's just throwing a number off the top of my head. And then maybe um, on the three-point favorite, maybe 62% in the college game compared to the 59.5% in the pro game that I just uh, quoted uh, a short time ago. You know, and I want to stress, you know, I, I do this by feel. I make, I make regular season one totals. I bet, you know, probably six or eight of these a year. You know, there's more variance in college football results than the NFL you know, I can't support it with, with science or a mathematical formula this morning. But, you know, I, I think there would be, again, a higher percentage chance for a college team to actually win a game outright uh, as a three-point favorite and a six-point favorite and the other point spread uh, scenarios as well than in the NFL. And as I said, you know, I make my college football regular season totals by feel. Uh, you know, I have a good idea when I make those, those uh, and to back, backtrack a little bit, let's say, for instance, if you think a, a team's going to be a six-point favorite, and I use the example in college, they're going to win that game 74% of the time. So you would give the favorite in that team, if you're trying to figure a line for their regular season win total, you would give them 0.74 of a victory. And that, if that's the projected point spread you come up with or you have in mind, and then for the underdog in that game that's getting six, you would give them a 0.26 probability of winning that game. So that's the amount of victories, quote-unquote, they would get 
in those situations. Just want to be sure that people understand that. You know, I do these uh, college football regular season win totals again by feel, you know, with a good idea of the likely point spread. And then I prescribe a percentage chance uh, to each team of winning that particular game. Again, you know, the favorite might get, you know, a value of 0.75. They might win it three quarters of the time. In that case, the underdog would obviously get 0.25 in the same game. Uh, a quarter of the time they would win the game. But some of my process, again, you know, I think it's kind of akin to a chef, the chef uh, who, who doesn't really cook a dish by carefully measuring and, uh, and introducing certain ingredients and exact measures, uh, closely following, you know, a, a prescribed recipe, you know, rather I'm like that chef who does it by taste, who does it by feel, who, you know, pinches their fingers together, you know, and puts a little bit of the, the product on their tongue and kind of see, you know, well, I got to add a little bit or I'm going to cut a little bit back next time or whatever. You know, it's kind of an art. I become con comfortable with my process, but uh, hopefully this answers the, the Stu's question a little bit and gives him a starting point uh, to try to determine uh, what lines he comes up with. And then he'll certainly uh, compare his regular season win totals for each team to the uh, line makers and hopefully find some value in there. On Twitter, I get another question from uh, John Holmes. Not sure if that's his real name, folks. I'm just reading his handle out loud. But John asked my thoughts on Oregon at 35 to 1 to win the national title. Uh, he cites a manageable schedule of the fact that head coach Dan Lanning, uh, now in his second year there in Eugene, uh, and the fact that the Ducks uh, have a returning quarterback in Bo Nix. And, and all of John's points certainly are, are valid. Uh, all bolster Oregon's chances uh, to make some noise this year in the Pac-12. You know, first of all, I'll point this out. As a matter of practice, you know, just habit, I, I don't personally bet a lot of outrights to win the national title, uh, primarily because of those markets' high theoretical hold percentage. And I think there's better ways to bet on or support a team that I'm high on, higher than the market or, or lower than the market in some cases. So I don't really participate in that market at, at a very high level. You know, he quotes Oregon at 35 to 1, and that does seem to be what's available uh, market-wide for betters, you know, with, with two or three more outs uh, in most U.S. states. But if you do happen to be in Las Vegas this weekend, uh, as of last night, Wednesday the 19th, the Westgate, they're just – East of the Strip in Las Vegas, had the Superbook, one of the great uh, locations to watch sports and bet sports in, in all of the world. The Westgate currently offering Oregon at 50 to 1 to win the national championship. So 50 to 1, if you can get that, uh, a lot better, obviously, than 35 to 1, which is kind of the standard uh, price available market wide again. We look at the Ducks schedule, uh, a week trip. Uh, week two trip, rather, uh, to Texas Tech uh, really is the only losable non-conference game. Uh, the Ducks there in Lubbock, I would project them off the top of my head to be about a field goal, about a three-point favorite, road favorite in that game against the Big 12 Red Raiders. And then other than that non-conference game, looking at their Pac-12 schedule, 
uh, their prime opponents, the games that could go either way. The Ducks get both Southern Cal and Oregon at home, uh, but they must travel to both Washington and Utah. Got to play those teams on the road, and both of those teams likely to be in the preseason top 15. And uh, both of those teams, Washington and Utah, are likely to be home favorites over Oregon in those matchups. You know, I think the Ducks likely going to be a uh, factor in the Pac-12, but I just can't see betting on a team from that league. And I know people like to pile on the Pac-12, but, uh, you know, if I'm betting on a team from the Pac-12, they're going to be head and shoulders above every team in that league, even at 35-1. to 1. So they're, they're not an overwhelming favorite to, to, to win the league. They're probably the fourth choice in the league. Uh, just, just thinking of it again off the top of my head, uh, to win it all, uh, meaning the Pac-12 in the uh, year 2023. So at 35-1, to 1, I'm passing, and if you really got to get action, maybe if you got a buddy going to Las Vegas or you're going out there, maybe they'll sneak over to the Westgate if they're not staying there uh, and get some 50-1 to 1, uh, in your pocket there. So uh, answering that question there from John, Got another question late last night, and I don't have it really written down. I'm just going from memory, but uh, buddy uh, Dan Cooster asking a question about the Missouri Tigers quarterback position and how that factors in to my power rating and preseason handicapping of, of the Tigers. And they have an incumbent quarterback, first of all, Brady Cook, who was uh, serviceable. He wasn't great. He, he certainly wasn't uh, terrible. You know, he had a, a touchdown to interception ratio of 14 to 7. He's the incumbent. But they also bring in a uh, former highly touted recruit who initially signed out of high school with Miami, Florida, Jake Garcia. He was one of the uh, highest ranked quarterbacks in the class of 21, I believe it would be. Garcia actually from the state of California, but his senior year of high school, during the pandemic, uh, the fall of 2020, California was not going to play fall football. So he moved to Georgia, moved to the state of Georgia to be able to play a fall football season in year 2020 and uh, ultimately signed with, the, uh, with Miami, Florida out of high school and elected to transfer out of that program uh, following the 2022 season. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, clearly the starter there. Garcia likely felt he was not going to get an opportunity to play at Miami. So he comes to Missouri, and he certainly came to Missouri with the intent of playing football for the Tigers. But I think it's going to be, at least at the, start of se- at the start of the season, Brady Cook will be their starter. Cook, he has one advantage, certainly. It's not the end-all, be-all, but he has certainly one clear advantage over Garcia in his repertoire. He can run the football. He ran, and this includes sacks, as you know, the rushing total for quarterbacks in college football includes sack yardage. He ran for just a shade under 600 yards last year. He averaged, with sacks factored in, over four yards a carry. So Brady Cook is a threat in the running game. You know, he's not Vince Young, but he's one of the better running quarterbacks in college football this season, and he adds that dimension for a team uh, whose offense will probably need as many threats as they can as they can muster. So from a point spread, from a power rating standpoint, it really doesn't factor in my ranking too much. You know, I know they've got Brady Cook. I know what he did last year. 
Jake Garcia has played, did play a little bit at Miami, but he's mostly an unknown quantity. I'll certainly make adjustments as I see one or the other or both perform on the field. But as far as my preseason uh, power rating, it's not going to make a whole lot of impact. If it were a player coming in from the transfer portal, perhaps with a track record, with a positive or a negative track record, but certainly a positive, maybe a guy like, say, Devin Leary, who transferred from North Carolina State to Kentucky. You know, if Devin Leary were coming into Missouri, uh, I would bump up that quarterback position. And I would, uh, that you know, subsequently would bump up their power rating since that is the most important position in all of sport. Uh, even a guy like Brennan Armstrong, probably, who transferred from uh, – Virginia to North Carolina State, where he'll likely succeed Devin Leary as the uh, the Wolfpack starting quarterback. If Brennan Armstrong were coming into uh, Missouri, I would consider that a uh, a slight upgrade to, to Brady Cook. So there, there would be some impact there. But in this situation with the returning incumbent quarterback, who is likely to be the starter, uh, my power rating really won't uh, you know be impacted too much uh, by the arrival of, of Jake Garcia and the. Uh, you know, the continuance of the starting tenure of uh, holdover quarterback Brady Cook. Well, answered a few questions there and uh, glad to uh, have you listen again today. We're getting close to the end of April. I uh, hope you're enjoying the, the spring so far. Hopefully you're having uh, some uh, nice weather in your part of the country or your part of the world. Appreciate you listening. Episode 100, 100 and counting is a wrap. Until next time, folks, signing off once again, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 